möte med min største helt. Om någon hade fortalt mig för tio år sedan att jag skulle bli redaktör, så hade nog smilt i skägge jag aldrig fick. Jag har alltid sett på mig själv som en skribent, och jag hade den gången ingen ambitioner om att bli redaktionell leja. Men slike livet, det var heller ingen som advarte mig mot Neil Gaiman, författaren av böcker som American Gods, Coraline och The Graveyard Book. Jag blev en viktig hjörnesten i mitt liv. Hans författarskap har inte bara gett mig oändlig mycket, men hans mått att skriva på har också skapat en författarspire i mig. Jag har skrivit helt sedan jag var liten gutt. Läraren min sa alltid till mig att du vart anten författar eller journalist du gutt. Då var jag nio år gammal. Sedan jag var 20 har jag skrivit. Det var faktiskt dikt som gav mig jobb i journalistbranschen för många år sedan. Jag rottnade på rot i en buksebutik i Bergen centrum och mellan buksesalen skrev jag dikt. De sendte jeg til en ny oppstartet avis på Voss, kalt Vossingen. En dag ringte marknadschefen i aviser og lurte på om jeg kunne skrive mer enn fire setninger og utan rim. Ja, det kunne jeg, sa jeg stolt, siden jeg hadde både rønsle i TV og radio. En måned etter var jeg journalist i Vossingen. Der var jeg, helt til jeg slo avisa Kunk i 1998. Men det var inte seven min vi skulle snacka om. Det var Neil Gaiman. Han kom in i livet mitt för över ett tio år sedan. Den gången existerade inte Twitter och Facebook var framlägs en social nätstad för universitetselever i USA. Texten till Neil Gaiman slog mig så djupt att jag inte klarade något annat än att läsa dig om och om igen. Det fick mig till att önska och skriva som han och det gav mig ett inderligt önske om att möta han. I 2008 kom boka som skulle spikre min absolute kärlek till den engelska författaren. I 2008 kom boka som skulle spikre min absolute kärlek till den engelska författaren. The Graveyard Book, baserat på Rudyard Kiplings jungelboka, kom ut. En bok om en värld långt utanför vår egen och öppnar sig mellan två permar. Det är en svårt speciell bok. Självsagt, och inte alla likar fantasygenren, men jag fall för denna boka. Historien falt jag för och karaktärerna. Jag falt så hårt att jag aldrig kom över den. Jag läste den framlägs med ujavna mellanrum. Kona mig bara rista på huvudet kvar hon ser boken mellan händerna mina. Jag bara smiler. Den värre Neil Gaiman har inviterat mig in i har jag verkligen lust eller trang til å komme mig ut av. Den er blitt min egen frisone. Det er i denne vera jeg skriver når jeg får tid, og jeg elsker det. Det var derfor ikke vanskelig å kaste sig rundt da jeg fikk høre at herr Geiman kom til Oslo i fjor vår. Dette skulle jeg få med mig. Han kom til Oslo for å lansere boka «Fortunately the milk», eller «Heldigvis hadde jeg melka». Og jeg måtte få til et møte. Jag tog kontakt med Shipstead förlag som arrangerade gamen träffa. Och som kunde melde ganska så umiddelbart att kön var lång för att möta självaste Neil Gaiman. Förlagsdama fortalt att de hade planlagt en event med Gaiman senare på kvällen som skulle hållas i litteraturhuset i Oslo. Men som vart så stort, så fort att det måste sända hela grejer till Rockefeller 
där strakte köen sig runt huset. Köen av journalister som skulle intervjua författaren var så lång att jag var rädd. Jag måste skjuta i lång pil ett rätt träff med Neil Gaiman. Men skebnen ville det anläs. Då Neil Gaiman fick höra att en lokalavisredaktör eins är en flög från Bergen till Oslo på egen räkning för att möta han rydda författaren plats till mig. Så jag drog. I have, I have interviewed kings and queens and I've never been nervous <laughs> until oh. today. Don't be nervous with me. I'm, I'm, I, if nothing else, um, I've sat in your chair. I was an interviewer when I was a young journalist. Mm. So um, there's nothing that can go wrong in an interview. No. It's a lovely thing. There's never such a thing as stupid questions or stupid answers. Yeah. I've heard. That's true. That might be a stupid question. I'm trying to think. Have I ever really been asked something where I'm going, that is a stupid question? <laughs> Maybe once. I was, I was on the radio and they said, so, Neil... You write uh, comics, I understand. Uh, what do you think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? And I said, well, I don't actually write that kind of comics. He said, well, what kind of comics do you write? And I said, well, I'm writing mm. comics for adults. And they go, oh, okay, porno comics. So oh. no, no. That was... So maybe that was a stupid question, but mostly you only get interesting yeah. questions. I want to show you something first. I sent this picture to you or your Facebook site a few years back. I took that wow. in the snow. It's Bob. Yes, it's beautiful. It is. It's it's the Bob from the Graveyard Book cover. Yeah. It's Dave McKean's cover. Came to me one day um, nearby where I live. So this is this was a nice picture to show you again. It's a beautiful. Yes, I, it's so gorgeous. I love. I love the way that eyes and minds can create patterns too. Yeah, because I love the the, the frontal the graveyard book. Dave McKean is an excellent draw. Dave is a genius. He really is. And that one was hard. Because I said to him, can you do something where you know, it's a gravestone, but it's also a face? Mm. And he did. And he did. And it was perfect. Yeah. Um, fortunately, The Milk. Yes. The book in Norwegian now. It was hard to translate. In Germany, you said yesterday. Um, yeah, the... Um Um, one of the things I love about the Norwegian is they've at least they've got the, you know, it, it is fortunately the milk. Mm. Um, the Germans, I think, because they're very literal, and the Spanish because la leche is rude, mm. um, or they say it. Some of them say it is have, have done these very literal titles. Mm. You know, my father's interesting adventure with. Time travel and pirates and vampires. And mm. so you're going, guys, you know, just fortunately the milk, it's fine. It's, mm. it's a goofy title that doesn't seem to mean anything. And then as you read the book, mm. it gets funnier and funnier, or it should do. How do you, how do you get the idea of writing this um, funny book? Guilt. 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 I, it all started because years and years and years ago, it started with my son Mike who is now 30 and a senior software engineer at Google. Mm. And back then, he was a four-year-old, five-year-old kid. And he said to me one day, I, I said something horrible to him, like, isn't it time that you thought about going to bed? 
He just looked up at me and he was so angry. He said, I wish I didn't have a dad. I wish I had. And then he could think, what else can you have? And he said, I wish I had goldfish. And he went off to bed. And I thought, that's brilliant. And I wrote a book called The Day I Swapped My Dad for Two Goldfish. Mm. And it was about a kid who swaps his dad for goldfish and then his mum comes home and says, where's your dad? And he says, look, haven't I got lovely goldfish? And she says, go on, swap them back and don't come back without your father. Mm. And the dad is reading his newspaper completely unaware that he's been swapped all over town by people for things. And I loved the book. I'm so proud of it. Dave McKean illustrated it. I got it. But there was... And, it, and it's been given as a Father's Day present ever since. And I felt guilty because I think, you know, the message of that book is that fathers are completely passive things that actually don't really do anything. And then I started thinking about fathers in children's literature. And trying to figure out what, what were the positive fathers in children's literature. What, the, what are the interesting ones? And going, well, actually, because you normally want to make stuff interesting for kids, mm. the first thing you do if you're writing a kid's book is you get the parents off the stage, especially the father. Mm. They're either completely useless, or as with Roald Dahl books and... and um, Harry Potter, mm. they're dead. Mm. You kill them. It's great. It's efficient. You know, a rhinoceros comes and kills them. Mm. Great. And and I thought, let me try and tell what a good what a dad's good at. What did I love doing most? I thought, well, I love telling stories. I thought, I'll do a story. It's a story about a dad telling a story. Mm. And that was my idea. And I think I probably had the idea for Fortunately the Milk and the title, Fortunately the Milk, probably for about a decade mm. before one day I went, I just started writing it. When did you start writing it? started writing it in 2012, I think. Mm. And I just... It just came to you then, the whole, you have had it for a decade, but did you have to no, what ponder I, about it? What I did... I had a notebook like this, the one before this, which was black, and I had, you know, somewhere in the book, I had Fortunately the Milk, and I would write two or three pages, mm. and then I'd run out of steam, and I'd go off and do something else, like the ocean at the end of the lane, mm. and then sooner or later, I would go, you know, I think the next thing that will happen is... Ah. And I, so you didn't do it in one turn. So it really wasn't in one turn. It was probably took about a year, mm. just going in and doing a chunk. And, and then, you made it perfect. Well, that was really the thing. I, 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 whenever it stopped, whenever it started feeling like work, whenever it stopped being funny, I'd stop and then think about it. Mm. And then one day I'd go, oh, "Okay, now vampires." And I'd go and do the vampires. And then so perfect. let it go for a month. And it's a really weird way to write, but it worked for that one. Mm. Um, what I love best about it is, especially, um, boys are really reluctant readers. Getting boys to read is hard. 
and I hear that more and more these days. Mm. And one of the things I love about Fortune in the Milk is just the boys are reading it and taking it off to bed, and they'll feel... And, and the fun thing is you can feel kind of superior to the dad mm-hmm. in the story, which I think it's always good for kids to feel very superior to adults. You can be smarter than these. I'm looking forward to reading it to my daughters now. But do the voices. Yeah, That's what it's for. Do the voices. When I first fell in love with your words, it was in the graveyard book Aww. with Bob and nobody Owens. I, I didn't... You know, I, I think it struck me so hard when I started reading it. Um, it was so good. The beginning of Knife in the Dark and everything, and the words, the, the, how you put the words. And Thank you. Even as an adult, I fell in love with it. And I think I love your children books more than your adult books. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the most pleasing to write? To ple- children's what? books are harder work. Mm. Um, you, you, you absolutely feel um, every word counts. Mm. I'm not quite sure that every word counts in American Gods. Mm. There's lots of words that are just there because I like them. Um, but um, you have to be, to be more focused. You really have to focus mm. in children's book. But also, I think I'm starting to have a very different opinion of adult and children's books as well. Because I'm starting, not yet with the graveyard book, but with Coraline. Caroline was published in 2002, hmm. end of 2002, which means now 12 years old, 12 years ago, which means there are girls who read it when they were 11 or 12, who are now 21, 22, 23, hmm. 24, 25. And they're turning up at signings. Yeah. And they're saying you have no idea what your book got me through. Mm. That became the book that got me through my childhood, that it got me through abuse, it got me through, and they will tell me things that are just, you know, break you open to hear. Mm. But Caroline let them be brave, it it gave them permission. Mm. Um, And because of that, I'm starting to go, okay, I've written adult books that have made people happy made adult books that give them a safe space to go, that have been a wonderful escape that they learn from. But I've never seen people come up to me and go, you actually, you know, I would not be who I am, I would not be here if it wasn't informed. And I think that realizing that children's books have that power Mm. is an enormous responsibility. You know, it's not that I'm not ever going to stop writing adult books. I won't. I love writing adult books. Mm. But it would be like saying, you know, you can only ever, if you're a musician, it would be like saying, well, you can only ever write songs on the piano again. Mm. I, I, I want the orchestra. I mm. want to be able to do whatever I want. You can write everything. I want to write everything. Mm. But it's also going, children's books have, have a power. Mm. A power over, over you and me. Yeah. I'm trying to write myself, you know. And because of Graveyard Book, I started to write, try to write fantasy, but in no way it's very difficult to publish that. I was talking to the guys from Vendetta, who mm. published, published Ocean in American mm. Gods over here, and they were saying, you know, it's, it's really been hard. Mm. But, you know, never stop. And I don't understand that, because you have such a tradition in Norway. I mean, going back to 
the sagas, going back to um, the myths, and you have a tradition in art. Yeah, we have so much. You know, Kittleson. I mean, look at Kittleson. He drew the finest trolls and fantasy Mm. that anybody's ever drawn. And nobody's better than Kittleson. And then. you just have to keep trying. Why isn't that? Why isn't that tradition? <laughs> no, I don't know. The tradition of the last ten years is that big authors get signed or we translate them and because they sell more. But then that's ne- yeah. not necessarily a good thing. But another side of the economical story is I have, have a, we have this public library near my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the politicians wants to uh, cut back, to cut down, because they don't have money. Yeah. And culture is the first thing that goes. Um, you have earlier talked about the importance of public libraries. Can you elaborate that? Yeah. So we can write uh, home to them, the politicians. I think that the trouble with libraries is if you are a politician and you need to save money, a library looks like a really easy cut because you cannot see all of the things, visible and invisible, that a library is doing. Um, and you can go, well, it's just books on, on a shelf, and now people have the internet. Why do they need books on the shelf anyway? Mm. And that misses what a library does as a cultural section, center, as a center of learning. It fails to understand the function of a librarian. You know, we're now in an era when information is... We're in an information-rich world. For the last 150,000 years, we were in an era of information scarcity. Mm. If you wanted to know something, it was really hard to find because there wasn't enough information out there. Now we're in an information glut. We've gone from trying to look for a flower in the desert to trying to look for a flower in a jungle. Mm. And the people who can navigate you through that best are librarians. We're in an era in which everything's moving onto the web, but in which the vulnerable and the poor do not have access to the web and do not know how to do things. And libraries are where people go to fill out job applications. So all of those kind of things that are functional. So much more than just a book. It's more than just a book, but it's also a safe space. And it's a safe space to read in. And it's a safe space that honors knowledge and wisdom and communal experience. And all of those things um, actually are, you know, they are invisible and intangible benefits. And when a politician goes, well, it's just books on a shelf, why do we need those there? Mm. They are missing everything that a library is and everything that a library does, because libraries aren't just that. They're repositories of knowledge. They're guardians of knowledge. Um, they are propagators of information. And, and they, you know, and librarians... Should be are, protected, not Absolutely. Cut. You protect them. Yeah. You build them. And I'm fascinated because a lot of countries, you know, the world right now seems to be divided between the places that are just cutting their libraries mm. and the places that are going, well, we, we really need to build these up. Mm. Now here in the 21st century, 
libraries are the most important places that we have. Give kids a safe space to come and learn and do homework. Give people a safe space to navigate the web. Give people a place to come and find fiction. Give people access to librarians. You know, and I'm watching that in places in America, in Canada, Australia. They're huge. Norway, frankly, you guys are doing okay. You know, you have your... your Less your, than okay, I think. Well, in terms of... I was reading the other day that you have... What is it? A, 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 the equivalent of... Is it $300,000 per Norwegian citizen in reserves? Yeah. Set aside... Still growing every day. Uh, still growing every, every day. And set aside for when you need it. And I'm going, well... Spend a little of it on libraries. Libraries are good. Mm. They will, they will, they are, spend it on the things that will actually improve the quality of life mm. for the people living in, in Norway and the generations still to come. I mean, for me, Because it would libraries. be an investment. Yeah, it's an investment in the future. If you are investing in a library, you are investing in the future. Mm. I asked one of you, uh, the fans outside Outland yesterday if she could ask you a question, which question would she ask? You retweeted her because she went early to right. see you, seven o'clock, I think. Uh, and the question was, where do you get your ideas from? Um, you know, that, that's a lovely question because most people are never brave enough to ask it to a writer's face because mm. they're scared we'll make fun of them. And sometimes we are. Mm. Um... I think most writers get their ideas from confluence, from the flowing of two things that are disparate and different, the point where they come together. And you take something that you have always known and you combine it with something that you have never known before. And, you know, you take... You take giant chess pieces and coming back from the Jordanian refugee camps for Syrian people and you start thinking, I wonder if they have collateral damage in mm. games of chess. Mm. Um, the idea of fleeing pawns being shot at mm. and making it to pawn refugee camps. What would that be like? Mm. You know, you, it's, it's things coming together. You go, okay, I know that um, a, a, if you get bitten by a werewolf when the moon is full, you turn into a wolf. Mm. You go, what happens if a werewolf bites a fish? Like a goldfish. Mm. You get a goldfish swimming around in its tank and when the moonlight hits the goldfish tank, get it gets gold. hairy and yeah. climbs out. Mm. What do you get? Mm. Um, so the question is, So where do you get your ideas? The ideas are always there. But what you do is combine things that you know in ways that you don't know. And that's where you get your ideas. Perfect. The, the movie Coraline came out in 2009, I think. Yeah. I, was, I, I, I was so into that book. And when I got the movie, I showed my daughter that movie. She was five. She didn't sleep in her own bed for five <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I'm sorry. And now she's uh, yeah, ten, nine, yeah. And when she sees this movie on the shelf, 
I think I'll wait another year. <laughs> and I tried to read the book for her, but she stopped me and said, I, I think we have to wait. Um, you said that kids should be scared, and I, I'm, I, I agree with you. You know, I think that the, there's two different ways that kids can be scared, and sometimes, um, sometimes the the truth is you wind up scaring kids. It, it's that point where kids have terrible nightmares, mm. and you're saying to them, "What are you having terrible nightmares about?" And they say, "The vacuum cleaner." Mm. The vacuum cleaner scares me so much because it makes a noise, and you realize that you're just dealing with something. Um, but I do think that it's great to give kids something to be scared of and then show them that you can deal with it. Mm. For me, the point of Caroline is not that the other mother is scary. It's that you can fight her and you can win. Mm. Um, When I was a kid, I thought I was a coward. And I thought I was a coward because things scared me. And I thought being brave meant you weren't scared. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I looked at this and I thought, actually, that's bullshit. Mm. Not being scared isn't brave. Not being scared is just you're not scared. Mm. Being brave is the point where you are absolutely shit scared and you do the correct thing anyway. Mm. That's bravery. And that became, for me, the driving force behind Coraline. That became the thing that I wanted to tell kids. It's like, it's okay to be scared. Mm. Just do the right thing. Don't go, oh, I am a coward because I'm scared. That's fine. I think I have a, I have a million questions here, but I wanted to making? get outside, take some pictures of you. Yeah, let's go. So. Kvar har en journalist fra Askøyværingen i Oslo å gjøre? Tenker kanskje du? Ingenting. Eller alt. Du leser bøker. Jeg leser bøker. Mange leser bøker. Jeg elsker bøker, og mange elsker bøker som jeg gjør. Mange kjemper for sine bibliotek. Jeg elsker bibliotek. Neil Gaiman kjemper for biblioteket sin eksistens. Han tilbrakte mange, mange timer der i sin oppvekst. De fordrog jeg. De for møtte jeg Neil Gaiman. Jeg angrer ikke ett sekund. Den mannen var herlig.